Welcome to the Blooming League of Original Podcasts. Yeah, g'day, welcome to the Potterston Tales, the one and only podcast devoted to the Toniston Tales. I'm your host and author, Aaron Ware, and uh, this is technically episode one. However, of course, there was the pilot episode, which has been numbered episode zero. So for episode one, we'll go through chapter one of the book. And uh, stupidly, in the uh, past couple of hours, I've been sitting on my own in my room sort of prepping some work, doing some things for the podcast, and I thought it would be a good idea to listen to music and sing along. So I don't know how my voice is going to hold up, because I'm not really a singer at all. And again, as I did in the prologue episode, I apologise from the bottom of my heart for that awful, awful theme song. My uh, inspiration for it was 80s, 90s kids' cartoons like Duckula and Ah, Real Monsters, ones like that. And um, I think I achieved that sound, but it's still not very good. So uh, I guess I won't mumble on too much and until after I've read the chapter. So, with a tinkle of music... <laughs> the Toniston Tales by Aaron Ware. Book 1. Chapter 1. Bully. To sum up Toniston Turnbull, you'd only need one word, and it's exactly that. Bully. The tall, stocky, ten-year-old student of Gumbaya Primary stands out above his peers, literally and figuratively, undoubtedly why he chooses to pick on the smaller kids. At least, that's what they tell themselves. But the truth of the matter is, Toniston simply does not like people. And you may think that it is rather sad for someone of such a young age to already be so cynical and bitter, and you wouldn't be wrong. However, Toniston has a lot of love in his heart. For animals, long, short, furry, scaly, flighty, bitey, tailed or tiny, it is the animal kingdom where Toniston's soul focuses. Luckily, living on the outskirts of Melbourne, or Whoop as it would be known in the Big Smoke, the city, a variety of native and introduced species occupied Toniston's backyard every night, giving the young boy some of his first experiences of love, friendship, and heroically looking after sick and injured wildlife. But it also comes at a disadvantage for the bully Toniston, namely his grades at school. Sure, Ms. Trish tries her hardest to make the Turnbull boy feel warm and welcomed, but a social disconnect is indeed just that, and no amount of tender loving care from a human can break his focus skull. He merely exists to intimidate all within the shabby wire fence that barely surrounds his country schoolyard. As Tonison's mother Tina drops her son off for each day of learning, she feels an anxious tug, urging her to say something. But what? 
Not even his own mother can break the boy from his vicious cycle of wedgies and stolen lunch money. Even today, as she drives off in her red, rue-dented, six-year-old Ford Festiva, Tina slams the steering wheel with her meticulously decorated fingers, regretting not having the right words for the umpteenth time. Toniston Turnbull barely gives his mother's car a second look as she drives off towards her restaurant. Instead, a tiny blonde girl catches his eye, Polly Princeton. Her back is turned to him. Perfect. He walks up behind her. She's preoccupied with her mobile phone. Something Toniston is, due to his constant bad behaviour, simply not allowed. Bingo. Oh, what's that, Princeton? You got me a phone? He asks airily. As the small blonde cutie pie turns around, her face changes from confusion to fear. What do you want, Toniston? Her voice is shaky and shrill. That, Drongo. And with a smirk, Toniston swipes the android device from her tiny hands. Polly's face changes from fear to upset, before halting at anger. Give that back! Maybe later. The bully shrugs, pushes his blonde victim into a lavender bush as he turns, then sets off towards the school building, flicking through her photo gallery. Boring, boring, boring. Ooh, a koala. Her angry, scandalised cries carry across the schoolyard. He enters the building. The slam of the large glass door silences Polly's tantrum. He pockets the phone and crosses to the quad doorway. Native birds like to sit in the large centerpiece gum tree. He makes his way over to his favourite seat. His seat. As evidenced by the grade 4 students scattering off as he approaches, it's from this spot that he likes to watch the birds and trip over any unsuspecting passers-by, teachers included. Sitting down, he ponders snapping a few photos on his new phone, but something tells him he won't be keeping it for long. Sure enough, upon entering class, Toniston Turnbull? At the woman's voice, he turns around on his heels with one eyebrow raised. Yes, Trish? It takes no effort to sound nonchalant and cool. Ms. Trish. And don't play dumb, you know what. Hand it over. Polly Princeton is standing next to the teacher, her eyes red raw and shiny from tears. Hand what over, miss? Ms. Trish places her fists on her hips, a sure sign she's losing patience. A sure sign any adult is losing patience. In that awful dress and stern stance... Toniston can't help but think she looks like a koala regurgitated all over an antique chair. Polly says you have her phone. Polly Princeton is a liar. She doesn't have a phone. Anymore, he finishes in his head. Only because you took it, Polly retorts loudly, uncharacteristic of the tiny little thing. The teacher twists around, placing her gawkily decorated fingers on Polly's shoulders, reassuring her in the process. If that phone isn't on my desk by the end of class, it'll be detention for a week. Capiche? At Ms. Goldberg's promise, Toniston sighs as he sits down in his far left corner, the darkest area of the pathetically lit but brightly decorated room. Of course, none of the classwork hanging from the intricate web of string belongs to Toniston. He usually has better things to do. I can't hear you. Yes, Miss. Ugh. When retelling Toniston's tales to his kids 20 years later, Andy Deeks in the second row will swear he could hear Toniston's eyeballs roll at this very moment. Right, class. After attendance, straight onto the essays you were working on yesterday about the Tassie Penal Colony. The whole class groans as they unpack their school bags. Toniston, however, places his left hand in his pant pocket, pulling Polly's phone out. Regrettably, he's left with only one choice. 
Oi, Princeton, he grunts. The girl seated next to Andy Deeks looks back towards Toniston. Catch, he frisbees the smartphone across the room with every student watching. Polly leaps out of her seat but misses the catch. The whole classroom, even Ms. Trish, gasps. It lands face down on the thin, scratchy, poo-brown carpet. Polly leaps for it, her heart beating rapidly, almost bursting through her chest. Is it broken? Ms. Trish asks, clearly as invested as the rest of the class. Drongo Princeton flips it over, her tense shoulders dropping a metre or two upon checking. No, it's fine, thankfully, Polly says, still panting from her panicked state. Here, let me try again then. Toniston holds his hand out, a genuine look on his face. I was aiming for the table anyway. Sit down, Mr. Turnbull. That offer for detention isn't off the table just yet. Right, now that we've got that sorted. Adams, Jessica? A young red-haired girl in the dead centre of class calls out, Here! Signalling Toniston's cue to tune out. He's fairly certain Ms. Trish knows he's here. He can get started on his project. Ashton Grant? Here, young Grant Ashton responds, rubbing the giant bruise on his arm. Yep, a result of one of Toniston's infamous knuckle jams. Pushing aside his untouched essay on Port Arthur, the bully begins etching into his desk an epic impromptu art project a whole two terms in the making. The school had indeed tried to confiscate the desk from him, and all was going smoothly until a marvellously regal elephant in the etching caught the eye of Principal Mr. Patterson, who promptly dropped the heavy table smack bang onto Ms. Trisha's exposed toes. Using nothing but a pair of green-handled children's scissors, Toniston had carved no less than 53 animal species so far, all lined up as if posing for a family photo. From an armadillo to arachnids, giraffe to goose, a wallaby and even a whale spout shooting water over the rest, whatever animal trotted, flapped, squatted or swam into Toniston's imagination during class was inducted into the table of fame. And today, he's inspired to add his first flamingo. Humming a familiar tune, one his father used to sing around the kitchen, the flamingo's curvy shape begins to make its way into the table. Small black shavings form along its border as the silver underneath pierces through the shiny black paint. Completely lost in his art, several days could have passed and Toniston would have been none the wiser. But as the bell rings for recess, he knows it had only been one hour. Essays on my desk, see you after recess in room 34. Ms. Trish barely looks up from her newspaper, as the students equally barely respond. They simultaneously rush to their locker tubs with the grace of a hippopotamus falling down a set of wooden stairs. Each child grabs their morning snack with nothing short of eagerness, having worked up a slight appetite. Toniston looks at his essay, untouched, read, unstarted, from yesterday, and shrugs. Did you get your essay finished? A male student's voice asks. Toniston looks up at the speaker, Timothy Rogers. Huh? Me? No. Why would? But Timothy Rogers wasn't talking to Toniston, as evidenced by Maria Ravello's response. About 20 minutes ago, I spent the last half reading. You write quicker than I do. And the students all exit the classroom, leaving Toniston the last to leave, typically. Essay, Mr. Turnbull? But Toniston ignores his teacher, and exits to sit by his favourite gum in the quad. And as usual, Trish Goldberg shakes her head, unsurprised marking an automatic F next to Toniston's name. Spoiled brat. She can't help but think to herself as she picks up a two-page scribbled mess of an essay written by Heather Wilkes. I hate my life. 
The walk home from school has long been Toniston's favourite time of day, if only for his regular detours alongside the long skeletal creek which runs around the edge of Gumbaya, leading to Toniston's backyard and beyond. Most often greeted by wallabies, native birds and a quirky supply of local frogs, Toniston would swear to his mother that the same animals kept returning to greet him regularly. Toniston's favourite so far was the small young fox with the half-eaten ear, which the then eight-year-old bandaged up by ripping off a sleeve of his school shirt. Clearly touched by the kindness, and hungry, the poor fluffy kit followed Toniston home, where it was treated to a bowl of the previous night's roast beef leftovers, gravy and all. Every day, like clockwork, our friend the bully would turn left at Moritz Lane, a short, dead-end dirt road housing a popular lookout spot for the local neighbourhood teens. Toniston surmised they must enjoy the local menagerie as much as he does, as there is always at least two high school students found at Moritz Lookout almost every day after school. Today, the spot is occupied by two much older kids who look like they must be senior students at least judging by the light, fluffy beard growing under the taller boy's chin. Ignoring them, whilst they guiltily watch him walk past, Toniston descends several metres down a steep hill, bringing him to the creek. Careful of snakes and bird nests, the bully journeys along the crooked stream's path. Ouch! Toniston stumbles a little as he walks, his leg now bleeding in three places. He looks back, spotting a prickly weed. Leaning forward slightly, he rubs his leg, then breathes in deeply. The heat of the mid-March afternoon causes the cuts to sting, the skin around them sweaty from his walk. Suck it up, princess, he mutters, which causes his chin to automatically stick out, thus thrusting his nose in the air with defiance. Expecting to smell fresh nature, Toniston immediately reacts with shock, his nose scrunched up, and one would swear his face turned a violent shade of green for a split second. What on earth? He starts to move with a brisker pace, his eyes fixed on the ground ahead of him. Nothing but dried yellow grass, broken logs, and more prickly thorns than a daytime soap opera. He stops. It screeches. He turns. It runs. But what runs? Toniston is unable to see the creature as it disappears into the long, dry grass. He moves over to where it came from, and is struck by a truly upsetting sight for someone who loves animals as much as he. At least twenty dead fish, half-eaten, laying in a pile. Silver, brown, even a few dark green ones. None look more than twenty centimetres in length. Oh, it's a darn cat again! But as he starts to move off, his heart skips a beat as the pile of dead fish pulsates up, dislodging the topmost carcasses. It does it again pumping up as if it were some sort of heart made of different kinds of creek fish. What on? But the answer soon pops up, silencing the already stunned Toniston mid-sentence. A large, bright, orange koi fish flips up out of the pile, clearly trying to make its way back to water. How'd that get there? Poor thing. Toniston leans down, ready to place the koi back in the stream, when something suddenly occurs to him. Wait a minute. Koi don't occupy this creek. This is somebody's pet. His mind races in confusion and shock. It's gotta be. And without thinking another word, he immediately rips the school bag straps off his broad shoulders, unzips the main pocket, and throws his arm into the abyss. A split second later, Toniston's freckly arm rips out a Melbourne Zoo lunchbox, the only souvenir he's ever been allowed to buy from one of his many trips to the zoological gardens. 
He throws the uneaten banana and unopened packet of sultanas into the backpack and fills the lunchbox with murky creek water, placing the koi in without a second to spare. The large fish barely fits. In fact, it can barely turn around. And thus, an executive decision is instantly made. Foregoing his daily creek walk, the Turnbull boy digs the toe of his Doc Martin boots into the dirt as he scales up the steep hill with all the care and stability he can muster, with one simple goal. Get this flippin' fish home alive! Alrighty, so that was chapter one, Bully, of the Toniston Tales. There's a... Quite a fair bit to unpack there, I guess. Where do we start? The fact that Toniston is a bully. I uh, I knew that would uh, upset a few people. I've already had at least one person say that it triggered them. And then they said that the fact that he loves animals and looks after animals made him warm to them. And that was important because... Uh, look around, kids. Life isn't black and white. People aren't perfect. People are assholes most of the time, but they are still good people deep down. You cannot just judge somebody based on their actions as a child, for one thing. Uh, that's very important, I think, to us all. Yeah, people are complicated at the end of the day. Uh, obviously, we've seen the um, bit with his mum in the car, so she's obviously not knowing how to deal with it. So hopefully, maybe, if you're good, we'll get to hear from her again of course we will it's already published if you're listening to this hopefully you've already read the books so you know what happens quite a few people more than anybody who has said that toniston being a bully is a bad thing i've had people ask me is this because i was bullied myself at school especially and even in adulthood i've had certain incidents along the way up until Quite recently, as I said before, people are assholes, plain and simply. Uh, and to answer all of those questions a thousand times, no, it, it really it did have nothing to do with me. If anything, when I was a kid and studying in theatre and studying cinema on my own accord, and I'm an actually, you know, 11-year-old and worrying about how the camera's moving and how they edited it, the scripting, the performances. Sure, I loved, you know, fun movies and, and watching movies because they're fun. But it had everything to do with cinema and the representation and TV as well, literature, pop culture in general, that the bully is a two-dimensional cardboard cutout of a bully. Quite typically broad-shouldered, thick-head, thick-neck, redhead. A lot of the times you will see that redhead and freckles for some reason. So I went with that cliche, but I've given this boy a little bit of uh, depth, hopefully. <laughs> Cross my fingers there, hopefully. Just a side note, through that whole recording, I must apologize through that whole recording. I was very, very hungry and I could hear my tummy rumbling, telling me off, saying, hurry up and feed me Aaron because this is stupid, you're just sitting here talking to nobody instead of feeding me. And it just went on and on and on. 
I mean, I like, I know I personally can go on and on and on, but my stomach, I swear to God. So I may, if I listen back to it and I can, if I can hear my stomach over my talking <laughs> in a way that I cannot remove it from the recording, yeah, I'm going to have to record that whole seven pages again, um, which as I said at the start, I had been singing, I'd been singing Broadway songs. Uh, I even did a whole production number to, um, one of, I'm not going to say which because it's just embarrassing. It wasn't a production number, I was just dancing around the kitchen. That's all I was doing, just having fun, because that's what life is about. Anyway, so, now, uh, Trish is named after two friends of mine, the lovely Trish and Trisha, but I split the difference, and I'm like, well, I'll just make it the one syllable, because <laughs> Ms. Trish sort of has that, Ms. Trish, I don't know, I like that together. I, she actually went through quite a few different names over time. I can't remember what her name was originally, but her surname was always Goldberg, uh, which was a little wink, well, my little wink to the character of Miss Goldberg from the musical In Trousers, which I'm sure is one thing that none of you have heard of if you're listening to this, the whole one or two people maybe listening to this uh, In Trousers is a musical, and that's all you need to know, <laughs> really. Um I love it, so I named a character after it. Uh, who else have we got that we named a character after? Oh, the chapter title, Bully. Uh, that was um, that really kicked off the theme of the chapter titles all through the book because I I named it Bully because obviously that's who he is. However, I also went with a little pop culture theme throughout, and I'd, things I'll talk more about later on, but there's a movie called Bully, is what I'm trying to say. It's an R-rated film. It's it's very um, it's very violent. It's sad. It's based on a true story about an arsehole, basically. <laughs> like, I really... It was, it was words that I'm trying not to say. Disclaimer, that's how it's portrayed in the film, whether or not that's how it happened in real life. I was not there. I cannot say, but the film um, by the director of um, Kids, Larry Clark, Bijou Phillips, I think she's in it, of uh, Mamas and Papas Parentage, uh, I think. Don't quote me on that. I'm pretty certain she is Phillips's daughter. I'm not going to look that up. I'm just going to pretend I know what I'm talking about. Uh, anyways, the point being, I named that chapter after that movie, an R-rated film, which is probably not good for a book that is technically aimed at ages 10 and up. However, I'm not expecting children to sit there and go, oh, look at these chapter titles. That's a movie title. I'm going to go seek out that movie. You know, it's not like having the porn parodies that are very, very similar titled and kids look them up and accidentally find porn, uh, which actually happened. This is totally uh, off topic, but that happened in Australia about 16 years to the date almost when the winner of Australian Idol was announced the very next day, the website went out, and uh, it was quite damaging to her. It was very, very sad. I'm sure a lot of people found it funny, uh, but you got families and kids that are, you know, that voted for this. I, I voted for her. I wanted her to win. Casey Donovan was the greatest in that whole whole series in Australia, um, all eight seasons that we had. Yeah, anyways, um, I'm not expecting, what I'm saying is I'm not expecting children to look up the movie Bully, and if they do, parents stop them. It's very violent. Uh, okay, 
Uh, there's already in this first chapter, whilst we've got obviously the movie reference, a uh, little hint to a certain Manfred Mann song. Uh, obviously I don't name the song nor the band, um, but if you know your music, you will have picked up that reference. Uh, there is a couple of Easter eggs through this chapter. Um, now, in what I just read, I said Drongo, and I said it a couple of times because I added it in uh, just this year. I changed the word Dingus because I thought Dingus uh, is very international. It translates across the board, whereas Drongo is very Australian. And in the, the book, obviously, we've got, you know, using terms like whoop whoop. But whoop whoop basically just means middle of nowhere. Uh, so I've tried along the way to use Aussie vernacular where I could, because we don't really have a, you know, high-octane fantasy series. Not Well, not high-octane, it's mainstream fantasy series. Uh, there is a lot of Aussie fantasy. It's very... um very niche market, I think. So I, I tried to write something that everyone could enjoy that isn't exactly fantasy because it is also comedy, horror. It's a coming of age. It's a drama, like family drama and relationships. There's a bit of romance at some point, maybe. Who knows? Maybe for Toniston, maybe not. I don't want to give anything away. And uh, Well, you should have read it already if you're listening to this. As I said before... Another little reference to Australiana and pop culture. Principal Patterson was named after Banjo Patterson because my laptop sits on my desk just a little bit too low, so I have a big thick book by Banjo Patterson that <laughs> phrases it up. And uh, I grew up, you know, on that poetry and, and stories. Uh, Henry Lawson as well. And there's two of them. They were in this little twin set. Yeah, so I named him that. Oh, oh, Maria Ravello. Also another name that has a little bit of a tricky meaning to it. Ravello. If you know what I'm talking about when I say Ravello Drive, awesome. Then this book is for you. Because <laughs> that means you're a fan of that particular thing. I'm not going to give away anything else other than that, but if you know what I mean by Ravello Drive and who lives there, i tell you what, the, the one thing I don't know if other writers can agree with me on this, starting a book is probably the hardest thing to do because, well, I don't know about you personally listening to this, but I'm a pretty harsh judge on myself and even now reading it back, I think to myself, wow, that sounds pretty wanky. Well, that sounds pretty dumb and, you know, amateur, so I, you know, I'll, I'll probably go back and fix it up just for the, the sake of it, for my own satisfaction. It was quite a tricky, like, how do I start this? How do I approach this character who is not your typical hero? He's not, you know, a fantasy hero. He's, he's not a downtrodden kid. He's not a victim anywhere. There is one cliche... We'll get to that in the next episode. But I did did try to, as I said earlier, I did try to take that cliche from cinema, that two-dimensional character. But then how do you start off a book about a bully and warm people in, bring them in? So obviously I had to, to bring up the animals straight away. But no, from the very, very, very start in 2006, when Toniston was first invented or created, 
whatever you want to call it, developed. He was always a bully, and always for that reason. And we'll get to other inspirations along the way, obviously, in this podcast. So I shall leave everyone for now, because it's been a long time, and I've got a lot to edit. So, before I go, make sure to check out our other programs. Uh, we've got Thrash and Treasure, we've got our Drag Race Debates, and also Blame the Parents, which, obviously, we're not blaming the parents. It's all about letting parents vent and uh, get things off their chest. So, check them out. Make sure to pick up another copy of The Toniston Tales for your friends and family, because Christmas is coming up. So, take care, and I'll see you next episode. Toniston, however, plays. <laughs> okay. Toniston, however, places his left hand in his pant pocket, pulling fault. <laughs>